Hey, Real Nerds. There's many ways to enjoy the Real Nerds podcast. You can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify and iHeartRadio. You can see what we're up to around town by following us at Real Nerds on Instagram. And if you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us at realnerds at gmail.com or call us at 720-6NERDS5. Like us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or tweet us at Real Nerds. And now on with the show. Hi, this is Ed Kramer, CGI artist from Industrial Light and Magic. I worked on the Scarabs from The Mummy, the Rock Monster from Galaxy Quest, and you are listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and beyond. I'm Ryan. With me again on Zoom is Corinne, Brad, and Zach. Hello. Hi. Every week we go see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world, but sometimes we stay at home when there's no new movies coming out. And this week... Remember a few weeks ago when we were like, hey, we're going to start getting back together and doing these in person. And we, it's been five weeks, so we haven't done that. Yep. Um, I mean, three of us were in the room for Film Explosion 2000. So... Yep, that's it. That's all we did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bud. Everything is a pain in the ass right now. (laughs) They did. They said hello to your pumpkin head. That's really cool. We watch Indiana Jones. What in the world? Yeah, and Kellen and I went and saw Indiana Jones. <laughs> Woo! Uh, want? You guys saw Raiders? That is true. We did see Raiders of the Lost Ark, or it's rebrand Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh my god, please just call it by its real title for the love of god. <laughs> in a second, buddy. <laughs> um, you sure you want to do this at 4 30? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I gave you guys the option. Um, yeah, so uh, this week we watched the Netflix film The Devil All the Time. Stay tuned. If you, we'll tell you you should see the movie and then play the trailer and we'll spoil it for you. We uh, talk about movies coming out on Blu-ray, stuff we've been watching, uh, movie news, and the kind of things that are going on around town. Speaking of which, Brad, what is going on around town? I just asked that question, Zach. Why are you... Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. The drive-ins are still operating. Uh, not the Denver Mart one, that, that one folded for the season. But the Holiday Twin has the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Monty Python and the Holy Grail on screen two. And Tenet and the New Mutants on screen one. And some special uh, programming of Field of Dreams. On September 27th. And that's just uh, for American Legion baseball veterans movie night. Very nice. Oh, Field of Dreams and Bad News Bears, the original. <laughs> and then at That'd the 88. Yeah. At the 88 drive in, they've got Rudy, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, and the Broken Hearts Gallery. So it's just Sony. It's just the Sony Gallery. Is just milking that Sony contract. 
Anyone else think Rudy is really overrated? I've I seen do. it once. I've never seen it. It's I watched meh. it. I watched it last year for fitness cinema, and I kind of gave up halfway through because I was just like, "Yeah, I just I, I know how this ends." <laughs> yeah. Whenever I hear Rudy, I just think of that Mister Show sketch. <laughs> uh yeah so that's what's going on around town cool time for some movie news it's real news okay so um let's start with some good news um harley quinn uh, the New animated series has been renewed for his third season. So uh, uh, congratulations to Harley Quinn. I still have yet to see it, but it's headed to uh, the third season will be headed to HBO Max. So maybe that means I'll finally get to sit down and watch this thing. Uh, The first two seasons are on HBO Max, Zach. You know, if you watched it sooner, then it'd be renewed sooner. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. I (laughs) thought it was only on the DC only thing. Um, But maybe the next piece of news will clarify uh, my confusion because DC Universe has rebranded as a comic book only subscri- uh, comic book subscription only thing, and all the original shows will be headed to HBO Max. So anything that is left over from that original DC Universe Online thing will now be going over to HBO Max exclusively, and DC uh, Universe Infinite will be the new title of the comic book service, which will be starting on January 21st, 2021. You will get access to 24,000 comic books spanning over 80 years of comic history. Um, yeah, I I mean, Brad, do you, do you still do you do you still have the free version of the service that you were given? I don't know. I haven't signed in for like 3 years. <laughs> um, yeah, so that DC Universe is a is a real winner, huh, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> I have Marvel Unlimited where it's the Marvel version of the the what DC Infinite's going to launch, and it's all mm-hmm. right. I don't I really don't like reading comics digitally, but it's kind of nice if instead of, you know, spending $4 on the unbeatable squirrel girl, you can just read it. And yeah. um, so it's, since it's unlimited, it does, you don't have to pay for like another issue, different issues, right? Uh, no, it's, I think it's like $7 a month. I don't know. I have a, a Marvel credit card that it just charges it every month. Okay. Um, but no, it's just, it's the only thing I have on that card because if you get the card, then it's like, uh, seven dollars opposed to maybe 10 i think it's supposed to be Hmm. but they also have a bunch of old comics and you can always just bring them up and read them and sometimes uh, you know the art looks really cool but you know the dc DC app was fine uh just like i didn't enjoy titans that much uh i didn't finish it and then like i prefer to read my comics and on paper Mm -hmm. and like i have most of the dc movies on blu-ray so i like the only thing i streamed was supergirl so okay well at any rate, this is now where all your DC stuff will be heading to. So now I'll be, I'll, I'll probably be sitting down and watching Harley Quinn because you guys have talked it up enough. Where I'm like, I want to watch it. It sounds like fun. It's the best it's show on TV. Right on. Um, moving on to what will become a TV show. Um, it looks like She-Hulk has been cast, and it will be Tatiana Maslany. Um, she has been recently on the show Orphan Black, and she will be joining the cast. Um, at, I, this sounds cool. Um, in other news, Disney Plus has also said that WandaVision will be coming out this year. It didn't, as far as I could tell from the teaser, didn't say when, but. Um, yeah, teaser but, looks interesting. Yeah, looks like fun. Um, yeah, I have from. no idea what's going on. <laughs> I, I don't think you're supposed to. I, I have this weird feeling that um, 
it might be in Scarlet Witch's head because she uh, is really powerful. And there was a time when she did a moment called House of M where she said no more mutants and basically wiped the mutants off the planet with her mental capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to explore uh, what happened to her after the vision died. Maybe they're doing that opposite thing. Like, um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. You know how in House of M, yeah, she wiped out the. Maybe that's like it's like how the scrolls weren't what they were Mm -hmm. thought they were in the movies. Yeah, they're doing like she's gonna initiate the mutants. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, Hmm. yeah, like brings the mutants into the MCU. Like I thought the snap should have like activated the mutant gene, so everyone who you know rematerialized Mm -hmm. has the mutant gene. Um, but you know, the WandaVision thing could be the same thing. Yeah. Who knows? I'll allow it. I mean, they might still go <laughs> with that thing, Brad. I mean, we've only had one movie that was post snap. So. Yep. I know. Can you believe how long it's been since we've had a Marvel movie? It's, yeah. It's been a while. Sad. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, I, I listening to the last week's episode, it didn't sound like this news came directly down the pipeline just yet, but it looks like black widow has been delayed. And soul, uh, technically not delayed yet, right? But it looks like it's going to be, uh, and it looks like they're trying to put Soul on Disney Plus, which kind of leads after, into after the fact the that there's there's speculation that Disney Plus has been doing very well with Mulan from its Disney Plus rentals as opposed to Tenet's box office. So this doesn't bode well, Ryan. I know you were talking or you were posting some articles. Um, on our Facebook page regarding the state of theaters. Uh, and I know Corinne just wrote an article, a wonderful article um, about what the pandemic is likely going to result um, in terms of what theatrical distribution and theatrical movies look like going forward. Um, I mean, I don't know, th- this all looks rather depressing and sad. And <laughs> Well, my whole point is that eventually the onus is gonna fall on the people who release the films yeah. because there, there's so much about, and I've been saying this since the start, there's so much about it that people over-exaggerate, don't understand. There's rules that don't make any sense. Um, I, I mentioned last week that you can go to a casino and gamble, but you can't go to Dave and Buster's and push buttons on an arcade. It's the same fucking thing. They, and, yeah. and, you know, they don't... And the, the studios are culpable in this too because instead of sticking to release dates. Now you're sitting there waiting and wondering, Oh, when is this movie going to be delayed? Um, you know, there's that article I shared, I think it's from variety. Uh, it's pretty great into detailing is, you know, would have been different and would tenant have done better if they stuck with Mulan's release date two weeks later to actually entice people to go back to the theaters and the studio should do a better job of telling people why it's safe to go back. You know, they, they, instead it's just only in theaters movies are back on the big screen, but they're not helping the theaters out. And it goes back to what Brad and I was talking about. I think that they're doing this too with the the, uh, Paramount decrees gone, that now it's going to be instead of AMC, it's going to be Disney at AMC. And now you're only going to show Disney films there, or you can pay 30 fucking dollars to stream them. Um, Right. And, and and it's, they're not, they're not helping anybody out. And that's why it gets frustrating because there's no, there's no consistency in the rules. There's no consistency in how people get sick. There's, it's so much unknown, and it's, some of it seems like an overreaction. And then you have some that's like, oh, this isn't you know, enough. There, because... was, there, was, there was no coordination between studios and, theatrical, uh, and, and the theaters themselves in terms of how to manage this. There was no 
they 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 were never put in they were never planned or set up for any disaster in regards to um the uh what would happen if an emergency such as uh a pandemic were to happen so it sounds like there's just too much there's too much uncooperative uh stancher from the studios and i've talked about it with some friends where it seems like if like because netflix um uh, prior to the Paramount decree being shut down, Netflix bought the Paris Theater in New York. And it seems like Netflix is going to, it seems like they're going to attempt the model of like, well, we can use this as the boutique option for people who want to see a movie in the theaters versus uh, having to work with other big movie chains to release their films um, the way they designate they need to be released. Because Netflix basically says you can show the movie at this window here, stop it. And then you can restart it again at this date because they don't want it to hit with the prime times that people would be sitting down to watch the movie on their service. So um, there's a lot of mass, uh, there's a, there's a lot of mass chaos in, within, within all of this. And it doesn't look good for movie theater chains who basically keep the whole system from becoming monopolistic and studio controlled again. Um, which <clears throat> when the Paramount decree was shut down, the studios set, have had proclaimed that they were going to, they weren't going to violate it, but you know, that's talk is cheap. Let's see, approve it, which they're not gonna, they're going to swipe in as soon as they can. Um, but in any, at any rate though, I will bring it back to some good news again. Um, we got to, I, I don't talk about video games that much because I don't play video games, but that might start to change because I just saw some gameplay demo for Spider-Man Miles Morales for the PS5 and it looks like some fun. looks like some fun. I think I'm going to get a PS5, guys. You should. Yeah. Yeah, and sorry. Guys- um, Kellen's deciding today to be not a nice little boy uh-huh. and he's just running and kicking stuff and he just kicked over his chocolate milk and um, uh-huh. so I'm a little disappointed in him right now. Uh, I'm 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 sorry to hear that. It's all right. He's it's just he's doing it on purpose for some reason. I don't know what his problem is right now. Gotcha. Hey, well, if you don't want chocolate milk, I'll gladly drink it for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I made I, and I made it extra chocolatey. <sighs> in fact, starving kids in this country want that chocolate milk. So I don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the gameplay looks fun. Um, and I've wanted to play that Spider-Man game since it came out. So I'm amongst a, a bunch of other games. So yeah, PS5 might be my new route to go. And you should all check out that gameplay. Then it looks awesome. Um, the Batman has resumed production as Robert Pattinson has recovered from the COVID-19. So gradu- congratulations, Robert Pattinson, for beating the virus. Now get back to being Batman because uh, I want that Batman movie. That trailer was fucking cool. Um, and then, Wait, what was that eye roll for? Like, saying is, Corinne doesn't talk, but she makes the like these faces that like the Batman doesn't look awesome. What the hell was that for? I just I think we're oversaturated on Batman stuff right now. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Justice League came out, and then Ben Affleck's going to be in the Flash movie. I just think it's just too much Batman. I don't know. Nope. Batman's had stories it, for 80 years. You can always tell another story. Yeah, but I when I saw the trailer for it, I was like, this just looks like Batman Begins or The Dark Knight. I don't it doesn't feel like its own thing to me. I, it kind of looked like it it kind of looked like David Fincher made a Batman movie. That's why I'm intrigued by it. Okay. Otherwise, I'd probably feel oversaturated as well. But it fe- I I feel like Matt Reeves 
the trailer indicates it'll be something interesting from a mystery aspect. So I'm going to watch it, obviously. Um, uh, I mean, hey. we, we used to get upset about Batman recasting every 20 years, and now we're getting upset about Batman recasting every five years. Oh, well, that's a thing that much. definitely needs to stop because it's never, no, nobody's ever going to be satisfied ever, and they should just get over their whininess. Because if, if you, if they ca- if a director casts somebody to be Batman, more than likely they're intuitively making a good decision because they're professionals in an industry where it's their job to know who would be good in a role. Does it always work? No. But it seems like in the case of Batman, apart from maybe George Clooney, they've done a pretty okay job, you know? Um, I, don't, I don't think George Clooney's the problem in Batman and Robin. Oh, no, he's not the problem. Although I, I will maintain he's a better Bruce Wayne than he's a Batman. It just, I would agree with that. Yeah, he just he. But played, that's that's the writing too, because George Clooney's a great actor. If oh, you yeah. give him, if you gave him Batman Begins, I guarantee you he'd be. Oh, that's the best Batman ever. Now I want to remake Good Night and Good Luck with Batman. Corinne, <laughs> you don't have to be negative about everything. All right. I just disagree. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't why? Think, why I don't disagree? Think... Well, if you give him a better script, he's a good actor. If you give him a better script, he's a better Batman. I don't think George Clooney, like, I think he does better and more, like, straight dramatic roles. I don't think a comic book movie is really his thing. I think he'd be a great Norman Osborn, but, you know, that's me. Alfred, we're going to rob this casino. We're going to need 11 other guys. <laughs> um, and then it looks like in 2021, CBS All Access will be rebranded as Paramount Plus. Um, in other words, CBS couldn't think of any other name. <laughs> Because they're just basically... Paramount the- minus. <laughs> <laughs> Paramount minus. Paramount squared. Like, come on. Literally anything oh. else or math, okay? Pa- Paramount now. Could have called it Paramount now. That would have been cool. Yeah, see? I just did Paramount's work for them. Yeah. Hire me, Paramount. Isn't no. there a now channel? Isn't there like HBO oh, now or something? Now it was being negative. I don't. I want to be hired by Paramount to do. That. I think HBO is HBO Go. I don't think there's an HBO Now. If it is, it's there's all been something. There's some condensed kind of into HBO. Has now in there the- was yeah. It's all supposed to be Max now. It's all Maximilian. HBO Maximilian. Um, and then the last piece of news that I thought was rather interesting um, is that Ethan Hawke's going to direct a documentary about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Um, so that's cool. Between this and Amy Poehler's... Uh, uh, let's, let's wait for Corinne's negative reaction. Uh, she's gone. I'll do it. It's only interesting to you, Zach. <laughs> it is. Well, I, I don't know. Do you guys like Paul Newman? I do like Paul Newman. Yeah, he's dead. There you go. And you might want to watch a documentary <laughs> about, about Joe Man- uh, him and Joanne Woodward. I think that that would be cool. I never um, met him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did he never appeared in any Batman or Turtles movies, so whatever. Brad only knows him as the salad dressing and popcorn guy. <laughs> You know what, you know, Brad, I did meet Paul Newman once and all he said to me was fuck Brad. I don't know what it meant, but now I think I do. So it's amazing. I don't know yeah. how he ever, ever met me. He, he was just, awesome he, in Road to Perdition, though. Oh, yeah, he is awesome in, Road in that film. He's great in Cool Hand Luke. He's great in The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Oh, he's, he's all over the place. Wonderful. But he between, makes a good car. He's a car. <laughs> Brad remembers Paul Newman as a car. Nothing else. Car Newman. Is that the, is that the salad dressing guy? <laughs> yep. Yes. Because he, okay. he has Newman's own dressing. Brad, when Paul Newman died, did you just say, oh, did he run out of gasoline? 
Uh, no, I constructed that joke better. But <laughs> you, you, got, you got the gist of it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's news. We also watch... Oh, we'll do... Actually, I'm going to do releases next. DVD releases and Blu-rays. It's like catalog releases, but, you know, it's trying to come out with some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, something that's awesome that's not going to be on the list is that they're doing the friggin' Office Blu-rays finally. God damn. Yep. Sorry about the DVDs. For you guys. Yeah. My question is, are they actually anyway. remastering the first four seasons or is it just be DVD ports on Blu-rays? No, I think they are. Um, start talking, Zach, and I'll bring up the specs for The Office. All right. Well, while we wait about The Office, um, if you're a fan of Full Metal Jacket, you can finally get that on 4K coming out in a standard release and also in a blue, uh, a blue, uh, a, a steel book from Best Buy. Um, looks pretty cool. It's It's... It's certainly unique for that film. So yeah, if you want that, you can go get that. Whiplash is coming to 4K as well. Um, just a standard cover with uh, uh, with uh, Miles Teller playing them drums there. Um, and then it looks like Scream Factory is re-releasing their Vincent Price collection. So this is a reissue, Ryan? Yeah, they don't have some of the um, bonus features because those were part of like the time stuff. Yeah. But- they're able to put the films and most of the bonus features back on. Right. Well, and then this, in this collection, you'll get the fall of the house of the, uh, the fall of the house of Usher, the pit and the pendulum, the haunted palace, the mask of the red death, Witchfinder general, and the abominable Dr. Phoebes. Um, so yeah, I, I will definitely be picking that up. Cause I remember seeing on the website that they were um, all like the ones that I wanted were always out of print. So yeah, uh, it sold out really fast. Ah, uh, yeah, well, now it's my chance. Uh, and then it looks like Dimension is uh, Dimension Miramax uh, releases are getting reissued all over the place. So if you haven't picked up your faculties, you're from Dust Till Dawns, you're the Crows, your Sin Cities, your Kevin Smith three packs, and your Jackie Browns. Now's your chance to do so. Here's something I don't understand about that packaging to this day: uh, the Kevin Smith triple pack has Chasing Amy on top, Jay and Silent Bob Strike back in the middle, and Clerks at the bottom. That's disorganized because that's not how that how the order works for those films. And I, for one, am not happy about that. Uh, anyway, um, and then Rick and Morty season four is getting a Blu-ray release. Uh, if you're caught up on Rick and Morty, you can uh, get that for your collection. The three, uh, the Rob Zombie trilogy is getting a standard Blu-ray release. Uh, last, uh, the last time I spoke on this, it was getting a Steelbook release from Target. Yeah, that was a exclusive at target for a while now it's everywhere not the steel book but the uh able to buy them somewhere else yeah yeah i still need to pick versions up because i still haven't seen three from hell and if i'm gonna watch i might as well get i I understand that ryan but i need to watch the garbage myself you really don't need to (sighs) you know is i like inverted listings so the fact they put three from hell on the bottom instead of the top just bugs me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and actually i lied there is a steelbook version of the whiplash 4k release and it's a uh, blood splattered on the drums so yeah that's cool movie's awesome um, yeah movie's great you should check it out um and uh a studio ghibli film the wind rises coming to blue uh i guess maybe reissued on blu-ray it seems like um so if uh yep. Karina, you talked about that one right yep uh it's also co-stars uh, emily blunt 
Uh, so yes, it's uh, it's also in my Bluntathon. Ah, it's beautifully okay. animated film. Well, why don't you get your hands on that blunt and smoke it up? Because the wind rises is available for you. Uh, uh, I already already have it. I'm good. Thanks. So Brad, I looked, and it doesn't say if they're remastered yet, but it says that it's 34 discs. Um, there's uh, every uh, there's commentaries. The webisodes are on it. The blooper reels and 15 hours of deleted scenes. I'm guessing they're supporting those all over from the DVDs. Um, yeah, I but mean, I think it was the first four seasons that were never on Blu-ray. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. yeah, five I think is the first Blu-ray. So, yeah, but I guess we're never going to see Michael Hang himself. Yeah, I don't. That, that could easily just be a deleted scene. It's not like kids are going to seek it out. Yeah, I mean you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I must have watched that live because I swore I watched it, and then I could have sworn it was on my DVDs. But I was reading. Oh about that scene it's pretty infamous as soon as it aired it was immediately pulled yeah like i remember seeing it live and then being excited to get it like see it again on you know dvd and then i got the dvds and or i was on netflix i was like where's this where's that episode like this is the halloween episode where's the hanging thing and And it's crazy because that's the only part of that episode where halloween's even mentioned i think on um on a office ladies podcast they talk about how like there's a couple of ep- there's actually a, in season three there's a couple episodes I forget which one, but um like there's a Netflix version and there's a DVD version, hmm. um and it's just it, that one's more about timing. Yeah, um, I, I mean that happens. That's why it's always prudent to get shows that you want on physical copies because stuff like Community, I mean, one they got rid of an episode and now it doesn't even um, you can't find it anywhere because it's sold out. And I feel like it might, so I bought it just before it sold out and now is selling on the secondary market on Amazon for lots and lots of money. Yikes. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we watch films throughout the week, too, in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, what anime slash romantic comedies have you watched this week? Oh, my gosh. And let me just just make... Let, let me just make the, the faces you make when we're talking about Batman. <laughs> that doesn't really work for the listeners at home. <laughs> I know it doesn't, but um, I, I just want them to feel my eye rolls. I, I, liked the lo- I liked the eye look to the left, Ryan. That's your yep. best look for fashion there. <laughs> yep. oh, do that one again. I didn't see it. <laughs> Guys, That's how- did it get really dark in here? Because it looks like there's just so much shade. Oh! Oh! <laughs> well, Ryan is right. I did watch an anime and a rom-com this week. Oh, there you go. Tell us about it. Well, uh, first I'll talk about the rom-com. I went and saw Broken Hearts Gallery, and it was pretty good. Oh. Um, I guess it didn't... It wasn't quite as funny as I wanted it to be, but it had a lot more heart to it than I was expecting. Still not, like amazing but i think it's worth checking out maybe not in the theater though but it's cute movie pretty interesting cast and some quirky characters in there like sometimes a little too quirky if you know what i mean like that kind of weird millennial hipster humor but typical independent film right ryan yep where you're trying to be more clever than it actually is 
I think it I think it kind of falls into if, that syndrome. If you're looking for a really good romantic comedy, I think I forgot to mention I watched it a couple months ago. It's on Netflix. It's called Always Be My Maybe. You should watch that romantic comedy because it is great. Yeah, Corinne talked about it. Yep. <laughs> Brian, I'm the one who recommended it to you. How dare you? <laughs> No, I, I, I wasn't telling, I was t- talking to the listeners, Corinne, okay? <laughs> I was talking to the listeners because I watched it a few months ago and I never brought it up on the podcast, but it's a good one. You did. Uh, maybe you didn't talk about it in depth, but I do think you mentioned it. Yep. But yes, that is a good rom-com. Anyway, so yeah, Broken Hearts Gallery is cute enough to see, I think. It's something different than Tenet. And personal history of David Copperfield. I want to see that on the back of the DVD. Cute enough to see. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they might do it. Who knows? This is a year of of weirdness. It looked adorable enough that I might want to check it out. So then the anime I've been watching is on Netflix. It's called A Lull in the Sea. And I actually haven't liked it too much. I don't know. It's, I think the animation is cool enough that I stuck with it through the first 13 episodes, but I don't know if I want to keep going because I'm like halfway through and I guess there's like a time skip and I already know how it ends because I kind of skipped ahead and read the episode descriptions and I'm like, eh. You're the worst at spoiling things for yourself. I don't care. This is not a thing that can really be spoiled. It's anime. So. The premise of A Lull in the Sea is that there are these four preteens, you know, they're like in middle school, and they live in this village underwater. They're not merpeople, they're just, they're humans, but they have like a special ability that they're able to live in the sea, and or in the ocean, and then they Atlanteans, definitely Atlanteans. I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, merman, Brad. Uh, I don't think uh, Aquaman's a merman. Uh, and any Zoolander <laughs> fans out there? <laughs> yeah, Whoa. they have legs. They don't have fins or tails or anything like that. So yeah, they are more like Atlanteans. Brad's right. Um, but then they go on to land for school, and they start forming friendships and making connections with the people on the surface. And that was kind of like the whole premise for the first six episodes or so. And I'm like, is this really all the show is going to be? Is just person A likes person B, person B likes person C, person C likes person D sort of thing. And it just, it was a little much. But then it actually kind of picked up and they introduced this kind of like apocalypse sort of thing of, what the hell? Oh, you're already done. Why are we going to watch Little Mermaid? No, keep talking. <laughs> okay. I'm saving myself some edit time. Just do it. What the hell? Don't watch it. Keep talking. This is just background music. Wait, are you going to cut this out, Brad? No, it's going to be under what you're talking about. You know what? Forget okay. it. You're ruining it. It's ruined. Forget it. Sorry. <sighs> I don't. No, I'll just no. go and do it I, in post. I, you know me. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I'm a Disney person. If I hear a Disney song, I gotta sing along to it. Uh, and you're also not an actor. If that was me, Brad, I would just kept on hammering through the scene. I know, buddy. I know. I know. Amateurs. Continue, Corinne. I'm sorry. 
So, like I said, the animation is really nice. Um, seeing all the scenes underwater is really cool. The opening, um, so if you don't watch anime, there's always like a minute and a half opening uh, at the beginning of the show where they have like this cute pop song and then they have like these cool scenes that are, maybe they're from episodes, maybe they're not, but the song and the opening is like catchy enough and it always tricks me into like wanting to watch another episode just to see the opening. And then, and like I said, nothing really happens. So I don't think I'm going to finish watching it. I think there have been a couple of other shows that Netflix has recommended now. So I'm going to check those out instead. But one more thing I'll talk about is I watch. Talk about a lull in the podcast. Shut up, Ryan. I'm going to make sure to distract all of you whenever you're talking about all your bullshit. I don't know what people expected. Like, she didn't like it. We don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> it's not my fault y'all don't watch anime. I watch anime. I sorted anime today. Uh, we just watch good stuff. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was that I watched Mulan. And not the one you're thinking of. The anime? I watched... <laughs> nope. I watched Mulan. Uh, what is it? The Rise of a Warrior or something. It's a Chinese film made in 2009. Mm. And it has a, it's on YouTube. It has English subtitles. And it's like really good, actually. It's way better than the live action Disney Mulan that they put out. Which is, it looks like garbage compared to this movie. Because this movie is so, it like has such a different take on the Mulan story. Um, so... You know, the whole, like, Disney story where it's, like, she takes her father's place, she goes to train, she gets, like, in her first battle. Like, that all happens in the first, like, 30 minutes of the movie. The first 45 minutes. So, spoilers. Some spoilers ahead. But um, by the end of the movie, she is a general, and she has been in the war for 12 years. So when you say some spoilers ahead, you just told us the end of the movie. So you mean the I end didn't of the tell movie. you. I didn't tell you the whole <laughs> thing because there's like a whole. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff that happens. I won't. I don't want to ruin because I actually ruined it for myself because I was kind of skipping around. Like, is this something I want to watch? And then I saw this thing that happened, and then I go back and I'm like, oh, that's what that they tricked us. Oh, okay. So wait. So you fast forward films. To see if you want to continue to watch them, to see like points in the films. I just I wanted to get a general idea of like what like how the film differed from like the Disney version because I cut uh, like I cut ahead to when she's already a general and I was like oh like this looks different enough that I kind of want to watch it now. So then when I went back, so you're saying you're you're having a reflection um, when you're watching it to go back to where you're at. You need to see who's standing right in front of you because you're seeing it further in there. No, no, no. Boo. <laughs> Not allowed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when I went back and watched it from the beginning, there was like a thing that happened and I already knew how it was resolved because I had seen the end. So I spoiled it for myself. But if you watch it, you might like that revelation better than me. Anyway, uh, yeah, when I, when, really I watch, when I watch films, Corinne, I don't spoil myself Shut i see how the story plays out we've had this conversation about rise of skywalker 
Yeah, I know we have. I, in a private conversation, not like out in the open. Um, but Corinne, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let people behind the curtain about, you know, a year ago when this was about to come out, uh, Corinne jumped on Tumblr and got all the uh, spoilers for it. And I did not. And I told her, I was like, why don't you just experience it instead of going to the spoilers and being disappointed? And man, I was totally right about you going in there and being disappointed. Yeah, Count it. It, was, it was a good thing that I read the spoilers beforehand because if I had just gone into the movie without knowing what was going to happen, I would have been very upset. I would have yelled at the screen. <laughs> but like, what the hell? What do you mean Ben Solo dies? Did you really think he was going to live? Yes. Oh my God. You're, you're the worst kind of Star Wars. Out. You're the worst kind of Star Wars fan. And I said it. You want to fight? We're not talking about Star Wars. We're talking about Mulan 2009. Okay. You, you guys talk without us? Uh, we do. Yeah, it's called. It's, it's, it's fine, Brad. We'll go have our own side conversations. <laughs> yeah. We're going to form our own Real Nerds podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it Realist Nerds or Better Nerds like podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So one more thing I want to say about the Mulan movie is that in Minecraft, Kellen's uh, catching all the village on fire in Minecraft. Um, yeah. Sweet Yikes. pyro you're raising there. I know. Like, he, he, also, he also spawns like sheep and pushes them into the water and lava and shit. Like, God damn, dude. <laughs> I'm not even that heartless in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Anyways. They don't deserve that. So I know like with the Disney films, like the whole viewpoint on the whole woman goes to war thing is like more girl power kind of deal. But in Mm. this movie, they portray it because like I said, Mulan is at war for 12 years. So they portray it more like a woman coming into a man's world, like seeing things that up until that point men only really had to deal with because they do have some scenes earlier on in the film where her dad is talking about war and you get the sense that he's kind of discussed both sides of it, like both the kind of honor and glory and fighting for your country. But then he's also kind of hinted at like the horrors of war and the brutality and all the death and destruction and everything. So like when she goes to war, she really sees like that brutality and stuff and it's like i'm not saying like women never had to see that because obviously like if you watch any kind of war movie there's always like people on the home front and their villages or whatever get destroyed but just a woman being in an in a man's role in that time and place those were horrors that for the most part only men really had to deal with I know. Can you imagine that? And then going home and have to talk to your wife about it? Yeah. I mean, it's really crazy. Yeah. No, it is. It's just a different take on it. And I appreciated that. Yeah, I agree. So I recommend you all go check out Mulan Rise of a Warrior 2009 on YouTube. Yeah. Let me put that. Let me put that reminder in my phone. Brad, what'd you watch this week? Uh, I was hoping for a middle finger from Corinne or something, but all right. There we go. I watched watched three things. Uh, The first one is The Boys, season two, is on Amazon Prime. And uh, they're doing weekly drops of episodes. So, you know, I wasn't able to binge it. 
Um, but their seeds are only like 10 or eight, eight or, eight or 10. And I'm on episode five and it's kind of a slow for five episodes. Like they're entertaining, but the plot isn't progressing as quickly as the first season. And I'm kind of wondering where it's going. Um, but there's still some pretty entertaining moments. Um, but it, it does this, this frustrating thing that I feel like a lot of modern season twos do after a cliffhanger season one, where is they will completely disregard your need to resolve what happened in the cliffhanger and just go on about its business and then wait like two or three episodes to address uh, how they got from point A to point B between seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it, <clears throat> whatever they do for the new season like reduces the consequences of the cliffhanger. So it's like less impactful. So looking back at season one and how that ended and then, you know, almost seemingly having like the story kind of restarts and there's like no consequences to what happened. um, It's a bit baffling. And a lot lot of modern uh, serialized programs do that. So, uh, Still fun though, or yeah, watch? it's fun. Um, you know, it's they're really leaning into more like the, the in the boys, you know, they show the superheroes because they have unchecked superhero powers, they're they're actually the villains because they they're narcissists, they kill people, like they kill innocent people, uh, with you know, like no remorse in order to get their job done. Um, you know. They're they're in it for the money and making movies, um, and the heroes are all the people who've been affected by you know the tragedies that these uh, superheroes have inflicted on them, um, and so a, a, much of the season is really focused on uh, like Homelander and him sparring with this new member of the Seven um, who is even worse than him. Um, and then the boys themselves are kind of just kind of lost. And uh, Billy Butcher has disappeared, obviously, from the end of the previous season. And like for five episodes, it's really just him and Huey kind of going back and forth. Huey being disillusioned and Billy Butcher kind of not caring about his team as much. Um, yeah. Okay. But I highly recommend it. Go ahead. Do you think you would like the show better if you got to watch all the episodes at once? Like if you could binge watch it? Yeah, because like I watched the first season all at once. And so, you know, I could watch eight episodes really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, Why didn't but, you just wait until all the episodes were out and then binge watch it? I it's, I kept hearing things on like social media about what's going on. I was like, oh, this is going to get spoiled for me. So, yeah. That's and, why you just throw your phone in a well. Yeah, I, I need that phone. Then Samara brings it back up, and it's really weird. <laughs> and the second thing, I'm so glad, Thanks, Ryan. Zach. <laughs> Sorry, I like that. That was good, Ryan. Do people still remember the ring? Is. Yeah. Uh, hey, yeah. by the way, if anybody's watching this video feed, you have seven days left. That's <laughs> uh, only yeah. when Zach's face that's, is on. That's all of us, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I turn my video off. I don't want to curse people for seven days. Yeah. I don't throw a toaster in a bathtub. <laughs> anyway, for my second thing, 
I'm so glad that Ryan made it back and Corinne is here because I watched The Blacklist season seven. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me finish making Kellen's fucking dinner. I just saw on Netflix that they had new episodes up. So me too. I, wondered, I wondered when I saw that, I was like, I wonder, did Brad watch it already? They didn't put the new episodes banner on the thing. So I'm like flipping through. I'm just like, it feels like there should be a new thing of like Blacklist episodes already. And I clicked on it and sure enough, like, there it was, and they didn't tell me. Stop talking about the blacklist. Fuck you. <laughs> hey, at least it's not me this Thank time. you, Kellen. <laughs> I know you don't mean that. So you watched all of season seven? Yes. All right, Which was easy because think? it's truncated thanks to COVID. Um, yep. It's like 2019 episodes, something like that. Yeah, 17, I think, actually. Ryan would say that was the most positive thing to come out of COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, he probably would. Uh, so yeah, uh, season seven, like I really think that like season eight has to be the last season. Like there's nowhere else for this story to go. It's season seven. While I enjoyed it, it's, it still very much feels like they're drawing it out. Um, they're, there's building up Katarina Rostova to make you empathize with her before all the really bad shit's going to happen. It's just like, you know, I could have gotten that from one or two episodes. I don't need a whole season of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I still hate Katarina Ristova. I can't empathize with her at all. She's a terrible person, terrible mom, terrible grandma. Fuck her. Fuck Katarina Ristova. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, your dad tried to kill you and your best friend helped. But, I mean, if you love your granddaughter or your daughter so much, like... Are you going to hold that grudge against them? Like, if you had a better idea, you should have spoke up. Um, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the last season is just getting to meet, you know, this mystery woman who we've heard for six seasons. and Who um, they flip-flopped on whether she was dead or not. Yeah, like, they got me uh, for a minute there. Like, I was like, oh, really? Okay. Um Although Red, something about like the way Red talks about her makes it seem like she isn't really Katarina Ristova. But I'm like, are we going to have another effing imposter on this show? Well, now we're back to Red again. Like, like <laughs> he's, Sorry, not even, he's not even. He's not even. Kellen's wagging his finger at the camera. Was, was that was that was that Samara on the screen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, Brad, Brad, Kellen tells me that you said, God damn it to him. No, I told him, fuck you. <laughs> oh, you said, fuck you. <laughs> okay, that's better. Um, and, and then he told me that he'll pay you $170 to quit talking about the blacklist. <laughs> Some, I, I... How does he have $170? Yeah, where did Kellen get $170? It's, it's, like it's the most random thing I've ever heard. I don't but, think he has it. <laughs> I know, I'm not... <laughs> I'm going to have to fucking work overtime. <laughs> Ryan, bring back Kellen so that Brad can say, put up or shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, let's see this $170, Kellen. Yeah, I, I need to put on the screen there and I'll, I'll consider it. <laughs> it's Monopoly money. <laughs> Brad accepts it. No, I don't. <laughs> um, yeah, so we only talked about like oh, an eighth of the blacklist, so you might want to check out again. <laughs> Just kidding. Um. So I guess we're. So I yeah, guess, like, Brad, Brad I'm sorry. I, I stepped away because I'm like in between making dinner for Kellen. Um, what made you want to watch the blacklist 
Well, I've invested six seasons of it already. Like, mm. and I was telling Corinne, like after this season, I can't imagine what else they could do beyond season eight. Like season eight has to be the end. This story is like, I don't care about any more like character reveals or surprises. Like I just want it to end. I just want them to like end all the mysteries, just hash it out. You know, this, this, the fact that it's a dumb family feud, like that's ensnared the entire world. Like that's lame. Like it, 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 there needs to be some higher stakes and you know, like, yeah, because like, family feuds stuff. have never ensnared the world. Meh. Um, I mean, you know, monarchy was like a thing. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, that that is that ensnare <laughs> a nation. It wouldn't ensnare the world. I'm just saying it's 2020. The I mean, blacklist. Have you heard about World War One? <laughs> well, you talking about Ferdinand being murdered and then that started <laughs> World War One? Yeah. Yeah, that's not a family squabble. He was murdered by someone who didn't wasn't related to him. Yeah, but all those European families are all... Okay, just making sure. Make sure we're on the same page. <laughs> um, and anyway, then... what did you think of like the last few episodes? Oh, there? no. Okay, we're done with the fucking blacklist. Oh, no. No, it's <laughs> over. This is too important. It's what about is... COVID, man. The, yeah. No, this blacklist has been blacklisted. <laughs> blacklist That's all I got. That, and my one. writing's better than the blacklist. Granted, I have never seen a single episode, but I have read of all Corinne's articles, and I remember Brad talking about it. So I think I'm a pretty good. No, you're right, there, Corinne. There's this one episode I forget. Like I think Diego is talking to Liz, and he has like this, sh- this shitty line to like console her. Like ah, it was so cheesy. Maybe it was a rom. No, it was a rom in that Elodie chick, uh, that uh, with the catatonic husband. Mm-hmm. I hated that subplot. <laughs> and we drove right so away. So stupid. Uh, yeah, so the COVID episode, the uh, the new season finale, which definitely accelerated the whole category. Like, first of all, like, like, I understand they wanted to get it done. Like, they had to end the season somehow. But doing, like, the 3D computer-generated people, uh, it's almost like storyboard animatics. Like... You know, they, they do like they play the episode and all of a sudden it just kind of stops. And then there's testimonials from the cast and crew saying like, you know, this is all we got for now. And this is how we're going to fix it. And it's actually pretty good. Like th- this is just like behind the scenes DVDs animatics for like movies that weren't done. Like, well, they just didn't have the technology to finish up the episode right after COVID had hit Brad. I think yeah, I would prefer- had. Like I read an article about it when it came out, and I think they said that they were trying to do more of like a graphic novel or comic book style animation. Yeah, it's like, like they have like. Meanwhile, but the weird in the thing box, is like they move. Yeah, they're like, they're like, CGI. Yeah. They look like the previs like on Ford v Ferrari. Um, you know when they previsualize the racetracks, so they have like a Christian Bale and a Matt Damon model that are like off almost like a toy sculpt that's like sort of off. So you'd have to pay for the rights for the characters face. Um, it's like that for everybody. Um, and they have limited movement. Like the background models don't even have faces. Um, yeah. Like it's a valued effort, but I'm just like, I would almost wish they just stopped the season and just paused and just came back later with a completed episode. And I hope at some point they just actually finished the episode for a Blu-ray or Netflix or whatever. Um, so you can rewatch it as the the fully realized version because it is kind of jarring. Um, they even like have to put on screen text overlays to explain what the look of the character is intending on screen because you 
I guess like I could feel it. I can understand like what they're like the the subtle emotional cues they're making, but they actually have to write it on screen. It's just like okay, it's for people like me, Brad, who won't understand nuance. I just won't get it. So I have to I have to watch that. I have to have things food fed to me because I'm a general audience. <laughs> but the but the weirdest thing about the episode is so Red has that heart. Oh God. And the fact that they gave like Red a terminal, well, possibly terminal illness, it's like such a cliche um, for uh, for shows like with like a character like him. But anyway, so he's affected by whatever this disease is. He collapses, and then Liz calls up her mom, who like puts them in the same car together. Like these are two characters that are, like are ready to kill each other. And they're finally in the car together. And then suddenly Katarina's like, no, I don't want to kill him. And uh, Red, like, thinks he Even just had, like, a fever dream. he's dying anyway. Yeah, he's dying anyway. Like... And he, 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 he's listening to them. But then when he comes out of it, he's like, oh, I just had a fever dream. And none of it was real. Um, I'm just like, really? Like, like, you're smarter than that. And then Liz, the whole season... Like this is a character who started out as like the like the best profiler in the entire FBI. Like that's how this this whole series started. Like she was the best at reading people, and we're in season seven now. And this woman stranger moves in across the hall from her, and you know she's talking to Red about Katarina Rostova and not putting any of this together that like like she's oh my had, gosh how is red gonna get out of this one she's had seven seasons of strangers oh moving in across the, about it still moving across the hall from her and like being like secret agents and like almost killing her and still she's like yeah you can be my nanny like oh they, i know they, i they just shit I on that character not, so much could not believe that that was such a stupid storyline and then the whole when they try to like circle around it there when she finally reveals herself and Liz says something like, I guess I always, like, a part of me always knew that it was you. And I'm like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Yeah. So, Ryan, you're in luck. Uh, we're running out of time again. So I will stop my chat of the black, what, blacklist. Well, and we we'll start a new thing. We could talk for another nine minutes. No, we are not <laughs> talking for another nine minutes about blacklist. <laughs> I, will, I, I will say this. I will, I will end this for Ryan so that it's pleasurable for him here. So at the end of the blacklist, it's my proposal that Red gets the upper hand on whoever and then says, now I've got a, re- a list of my own and it's called the Red List. And then that's nope. what ends. That would yeah. make it worse. <laughs> now, you know, I don't think so, Ryan. No, because then it's a spinoff and I don't need that. No, 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 no. It just ends there. They're not going to actually green light that, Ryan. <laughs> I'm just, that's how it's going to end on a nice little one line note. I do Wait. feel good about my prediction that the series is going to end with Red is Blacklister number one, Liz is Blacklister number two, and as we know, Katarina is number three. So, Oh, yeah, Katarina. She's probably the worst Blacklister of all. You see, Ryan you knows. He watches the show. <laughs> What's that? I said, Ryan, Ryan doesn't even know who that is. He doesn't. Uh, she's someone who's uh, might be on the Blacklist. Uh, you never she, know. She's definitely she's on, the, on list. the Blacklist. Anyway, anyway, Brad, before we do the thing, um, can you tell me what you thought of like that last scene in the finale, where she's standing on like the top of the uh, the rooftop like Batman, staring at <laughs> yes! the? Oh my gosh, it was so stupid. The first time I saw it, I thought she was gonna jump off the roof, Batman <laughs> style, like a cloak, like a 
yeah. thing comes out of her coat or something. Well, like you said, like the, all the animatics are comic book style. So I think whoever was animating those just got a little overzealous with how to stage that. He just rewatched Tim Burton's Batman that day and got an idea. <laughs> but it's also like an episode where you can tell they squeezed the other four episodes into it. So, or three episodes, whatever. They probably would have had 21 or 22 to wrap up the season. And so they got 17. So. Okay. And I hope they're not setting up a Liz and Diego connection because it, it doesn't need it. Just get to season eight, wrap up all the storylines and get out. Do you think they're going to bring in Diego's cousin, Dora? Or is it just going to be... <laughs> I'm sorry, is Zach talking and making lame jokes? No, that boat joke was money. <laughs> mm, disagree okay, with. First of all, Diego money. is the actor's name, not the character's name. Oh, name right. Donald Ressler. I want you all to know that this was the most entertaining like 50 minutes of my life thus far. <laughs> just listening to this conversation. And Should Ryan... I talk... Back, 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 back. Should yeah. I talk about the Brothers episode with Donald and Anthony Michael Hall. I mean, you can. I already talked about it. Yeah, I'm good. I think I fell asleep through part of it. Did it, uh, so whenever oh, they fuck. do the thing at the end Let's where they reveal on. which brother was which, were you just like, "This is so stupid"? Oh, did they flip the brothers? I didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they like. I thought they were the same. They just like the one gave his medal to the other one because he deserved it more. Right, but they make you think like the red-headed younger brother is Diego's character and then the older one is, but then it's like switched around. I, I don't thought, know. It made sense when I watched it. Yeah, I thought the Anna Michael Hall one wanted to, because he wanted to be a cop. So he was right. in the, he was in the uh, the training and then by the end of like the thing, um, yeah, he gave it to Donald and then Donald ended up becoming an FBI instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the last thing I watched was uh, I finally watched Harlequin, uh, the, <laughs> the 1980 movie from uh, James's film explosion list. <laughs> and it is bonkers. Uh, what's it about, Brad? I didn't, I don't remember the trailer. I just remember the trailer was goofy as balls. Oh, it didn't explain anything. Oh, okay. It, good. It, it just told you that the Harlequin's evil. Um, so is it a clown or something? I don't. No, it's a, uh, so there's this kid and he has leukemia Mm -hmm. and he's having his birthday party and his dad is a politician of some kind in Australia and he is so enwrapped in his career that he doesn't give a shit about his leukemia son's birthday party. Um, He comes home at the last minute, is able to connect with his son on his birthday, but declines. And goes about his business of trying to become the next whatever uh, office they have. Like one of the other politicians has been abducted and, you know, they have to fill his seat. So this guy is in the running and that's all he cares about while his, you know, sick son is having his birthday party. So then there's this, this, this party clown shows up and, uh, you know, befriends him. And then the kid goes to bed and, Brushes his teeth. Oh, that's Kellen. I was like, who's talking? Um, no, it's my dogs barking at another dog. Yeah. Uh, the kid goes to bed. He starts brushing his teeth. His teeth fall out and start bleeding. And uh, the mom uh, gets hysterical. And then this guy, uh, Gregory Wolf, 
shows up and touches the kid and magically he has his his leukemia is in remission he's all better Mm. um and he says you know as long as he believes that he doesn't have cancer anymore he won't have cancer oh it's that easy it's that easy and we've been doing it all wrong guys (laughs) and then obviously the mom's like you should stay with us uh because they like have a mansion and plenty of space for gregory to stay and gregory performs little magic tricks throughout the rest of the movie and everyone's skeptical skeptical of his powers and then uh it turns out that the dad the people he's running for office with have kidnapped the guy who had the position before him and are orchestrating all these things to to seat him and then uh gregory goes to a party and starts showing off all of his crazy magic tricks and this disturbs all those people so they want to kill gregory now <laughs> and they succeed the end <laughs> no <laughs> yeah fuck gregory yeah the harlequin <laughs> i'm not sure Harle- harlequin's accurate of a title but yeah so he's Corinne's not listening she's busy on uh the blacklist fan club <laughs> harlequin more like the fuck is going on akin yeah, I mean, I and know. Zach's back with the shitty jokes. <laughs> the Bad wife, jokes can't get enough of them. In the process, the wife falls for him, and obviously, the husband gets jealous, even though they have like a sexless marriage. Yeah, uh, he still cares uh, that he's being uh, cuckolded, um, and so yeah, they start framing Gregory as this Lothario, um, uh, who and a shyster who's you know. They keep saying, like, the kid still has leukemia and he's sleeping with all the other women in the mansion. Um, and then, yeah, they, they get all their guns and they hunt him down and kill him. This sounds, nice. This, this, sounds more well. convol- this sounds more convoluted than Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Like- <laughs> Not as convoluted as Tenant, but yeah. Or The Blacklist. <laughs> the Blacklist is the most convoluted thing ever. Uh, and I forgot the best part. At the very end, the mom and the kid are, like, at, the, at, at a lake and the very last shot of the movie is uh, like, as uh, the movie goes on, the kid develops like telekinesis and uh, yeah. <laughs> so the mom's like laying in the grass and the kid's like playing by the water. And then the camera zooms in the kid, like turns to the camera and like hisses. And he like has all the makeup of the, of the like Harlequin on it. Oh, right. So it's kind of like the omen. Yeah. To be continued. But it won't be continued because it's been. And like then Jason years. pops out of the water. And they find out it's just been a nightmare, and then Bitchy goes. Then it's then he's still out there. Pretty much, yep. Right on. The Harlequin will live on through this formerly sick boy. <laughs> um, Zach. Yep. Wait, Brad, is that it? Oh, good. I'm recording. Whew. I thought it was recording. Yeah, yeah. He said that's the last thing he's watched. Okay, so. cool. Zach. Right on. Um. Well, I wasn't on last week, so I've got a small bit of backup, but not too much. Um, I uh, Just a couple? Uh, I've got eight. I've got eight for you, and two of them are in color. The rest are black and white. So yeah, buckle up. me the whole 40 minutes. Did you know the restart? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that reminds me. I'm going to start my timer right now. Um, uh, so I uh, went to theaters and saw the personal history of David Copperfield. Um, and uh, in the tradition of Brad, I had a terrible experience where a uh, fellow patron was getting up and moving seats constantly throughout the entire movie, which uh, is not cool. Don't do that guys. 
but the movie uh, I thought was pretty fun. Um, it's uh, not as good as Iannucci's previous film, The Death of Stalin, but it's got a lot of heart to it. So I enjoyed it. And I, I enjoy most Dickens adaptations as long as they're done like with some form of style to them that's unique. And this one certainly has <clears throat> the director's stamp on it. Got a nice quirky vibe about it. I think Dev Patel's really good as David Copperfield. Um, and uh, I, I kind of appreciated just how kind of it manages to address Dickens, the, the, the themes of Dickens for the modern audience in a way that you realize a lot of what Dickens was writing about is sadly kind of still going on. Um, so there's there's elements of it that I find interesting how he's able to weave social commentary into it. Um, and the cast is great. So, but yeah, like I said, it's not as good as the the last film of his that I saw, but I enjoyed it enough that I'd rewatch it. Um, I got the 4K of Psycho um, uh, from 1960, directed by a guy that I podcasted for 25 episodes about. Um, and Ryan actually reminded me that it was coming out and texted me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to go pick it up. So I picked it up during work. Um, the 4K looks amazing. Uh, it's pretty stunning. I want to do a follow-up Shamley on the quality of the 4K for this and the other Hitch films that came out. Um, the only thing that bothered me, because it kind of still bothers me from the Blu-ray release, is the stereo or the 5.1 mix um, still feels weird because it's not uh, it's it's inserting new Foley effects to remaster stuff from the original release, so it sounds a little off. Um, but it doesn't like it doesn't ruin the experience. It's just something I notice and kind of cringe at. You have the uh, option for the mono track, but it's still kind of a compressed version of the five. Uh, good news, Zach. Uh, you can email Universal with your uh, proof of purchase, and they'll send you the corrected disc. Oh, woohoo! I'm gonna do that. I did not. I, I heard that they were gonna try to do that, but I didn't hear any confirmation. So that's good. Um, but the um, I watched the uncut version, um, and you can notice where it's different. Um, I've seen the clips themselves online before and it's interesting how they work within the scope of the movie because when Norman's cleaning up after the shower scene, that additional footage of uh, him wiping his blood, uh, the blood off of his hands from the shower um, into the sink, it's, it does kind of take you back for a quick second, but it's still the movie Psycho. None of the additional footage actually changes anything. Um, so I would definitely seek it out. It's actually a really cool Blu-ray, the way they kind of packaged it. One thing, I didn't realize that Universal was doing this. Maybe they've done it on other ones. But after the movie was over, it went right into the behind-the-scenes uh, documentary of Psycho um, from the extras, which I thought was kind of cool because it reminded me of watching those on a VHS where either before or after the movie, you get the the behind-the-scenes feature of it all. Um and then I got a Twilight Time version of the movie Beat the Devil from 1953. So I thought I would pop that in. And movie's still kind of a goofy uh, John Huston film from... It was the last time he worked with Bogart. And it's, it's a very quirky movie for its era. Um, it's basically all involves people trying to grab land in Africa um, and the mishaps that happen within that. Um, and Bogart's really good in it. I much like any Houston film, the, 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 the folly of ambition uh, is revealed with a nice ironic sense of humor by the end. Um, and the transfer looks fantastic. I've never seen this movie look this good. Um, Cause it's mostly been a kind of a public domain kind of thing where you could pick it up 
anywhere cheapo wise, but the transfer looks incredible. So it's a shame once again, that twilight time is now folded. Um, Cause I would like to see more, um, uh, <clears throat> see them do more with some of these films like this. Um, I, uh, I picked up uh, my bond collection, which I had not picked up since I bought last year. And I was like, slowly but surely, I'm going to go through all the Bond movies and finally get through the Roger Moore movies that I haven't seen. Um, and the first one, obviously, I started with Dr. No, which I had seen before. And um, movie still works. It's still, still a fun spy movie from the 60s, first setting up that character, James Bond. Um, I, I, uh, it's weird. Like We've talked about how the Connery era films definitely feel dated, um, and they do, but... I, I I still had a lot of fun rewatching it. It's still like a seminal spy film that all the tropes are there and they're done very well. Um, I didn't realize, but I realized in watching some of the behind the scenes features, I guess when Bond kills um, the professor in um, that woman spy's uh, house, it was considered controversial because he was killing him when he was unarmed, but he has a gun. It's just not loaded because he already shot off his shots. So I wasn't sure how that was necessarily controversial. And also Bond has a license to kill. So I'm assuming that he can just do that. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed rewatching it. It looked great on Blu-ray. It looked fantastic. Um, so I, I'm going to go through the rest of them. Um, finally get through the Roger Moore era and, um, and see what I think of those. Um, and then I decided to pick up the sequels to the, Thin Man series and watch them again. Um, I've had the collection for a while. I rewatched the Thin Man a lot, but I don't go back to the sequels that often. So um, I rewatched after the Thin Man. Um, as none of you will recall, uh, Nikki and Nora finished solving the case of the Thin Man and they're on a train home. And after the Thin Man picks up where they're about to settle home and just have a nice relaxing time. But oh no, somebody in Nora's family is having an issue with a murder or a disappearance, or both. It's both of them, guys. So somebody disappears in Nora's family, and they have to solve it. It leads to murder. More mischief and mayhem ensues with Nikki and Nora solving it while still being suave. Um, and then I watched another Thin Man, um, which is a step up from After the Thin Man, because After the Thin Man has an issue with being a little bit too whimsical, and After the Thin Man actually gets a little bit more into Nick, Nick Charles as a detective, um, and manages to balance that with there being a baby in the storyline. Um, but, you know, it's another, you know, somebody's having troubles that could lead to murder, and then it leads to murder, and then they have to solve it. Um, in another Thin Man, by the way, you will see a um, early appearance by a man named Le uh, Sheldon Leonard, who would go on to be the producer of The Dick Van Dyke Show, amongst other sitcoms. Uh, so if you want to see what the producer of The Dick Van Dyke Show looked like before he started doing that, there's your chance. And if you want to see um, what he looks like in the early 90s, you know, a gangster. So you can find that on the Dick Van Dyke yeah. DVDs. <laughs> yep, that's true. You get, he's, well, and he, he's also on another show with a comedian that I just won't mention because we get tired of that mention. Um, but anyway... And then um, the last two things that I watched were um, <clears throat> I watched The Enforcer with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, this is a film that was actually um, mentioned by uh, my final guest on Shamley, Adam Roach, because um, we were talking about Humphrey Bogart playing characters that are like uh, DA characters. And I had watched Marked Woman prior to this. So um, The Enforcer, Ryan, I think you'll like this one a lot. 
he Bogart's not in it as much. He's kind of the framing device for basically trying to find a witness that will uh, point the finger at the guy who is running a murder, uh, a hitman syndicate uh, in the city. And it basically goes through a series of flashbacks to tell you the story of this crime drama unfolding. And what I found good about it is that for 82 minutes, they keep the mystery pretty well hidden until it's needed to be revealed. So there's a lot of intrigue as you're watching it. It's beautifully shot by Robert Burks, who was Hitchcock's cinematographer. Um, and it's a, there's an, I guess it was uncreditedly directed by Raoul Walsh for some of it. So there's definitely some Raoul Walsh kind of stuff kind of floating in there. Um, but Bogart's wonderful in it. And you get a young Zero Mostel who would go on to be Max Bialystok and the producers. Um, and then the last thing that I watched, um, I still have yet to go through my Carol Lombard Kino uh, Lorber box set. But Ryan, I watched one that I think you already got or still have coming called Supernatural. Um, uh, I haven't. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a little tease, but I won't spoil it for you. Uh, so Supernatural from 1933 with Carol Lombard and Randolph Scott, a uh, noted friend of Mr. Cary Grant, um, along with um, uh, the woman who played James Cagney's mother in The Public Enemy. Um, it's, uh, it's really good. Uh, it's not great, but it's really good. Uh, it's a horror film that basically deals with a woman who is a known strangler who's killed three men is about to go to the death chair and a a doctor who's working on trying to figure out how souls pass from one person to another uh, convinces her to donate her body to to science so he can figure out how souls transfer from one person to another. Meanwhile, Carol Lombard's uh, brother has died and she gets a message from a medium who's a fake medium to um, meet with him. And as he's scamming them, the body or the soul of this murderess enters Carol Lombard and Carol Lombard becomes possessed. You could say everything that happens in it is supernatural. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it ends up being an interesting little ghost story that runs at a pretty quick 64 minutes. So you're not like wasting a lot of time if you want to give this a, a blind watch. Um, I liked Carol Lombard in a lot because she gets really menacing in the movie and I've never really seen her be menacing. Um, and she has a really good evil stare that the director really capitalizes on. Um, and since it's pre-code, it gets a little more racier than usual uh, 30s films would. And it's nice to see a horror film like this kind of push the boundary a little bit in terms of what's acceptable and what's not. And uh, one of my favorite bits of it, it seems cheesy today, but I found it really wonderful, is one of the indicators that uh, the possessed woman is present is that she crushes metal cups in her hands like some kind of superhero and it's awesome it's really cool Ryan I think you'll like this film it's nice. shot and it's shot creepily too there's some uh, actual yeah. there's some Not actual moments of, there's like some actual moments of sheer kind of like creepiness involved like nothing super scary but just genuine creep factor amidst the melodrama that's kind of going on with stuff so um, and that's all I watched this week yeah, and sure I took I'll eleven get, minutes. Nice. Uh, I don't know when I'll get to it. It's in my blueberry um, shelf, it's, so it's it's, it's worth, random. It's so I don't know it. what's if, if there are any special features on that, I'm definitely going to pick it up on the uh, the Lorber Blu-ray because I want to learn a little bit more about the film if it's possible. I think there's a um, commentary. 
Ooh, cool. It's it's really neat. I think you'll like it. Uh, yeah, I didn't watch too much this week. Um, I've been playing um, Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Um, so I kind of been diving back in uh, Super Mario 64. And it's awesome because I haven't played that game in, I don't know, probably 16 years. But I still remember all of the secrets and the layout of the levels, and um, it's lots of fun. Um, but what I have watched this week is I watched uh, a documentary on um, Netflix called um, The Final Flight of Challenger, I think is the name of it. Um, it's produced by J.J. Abrams, and if people don't know, in 1986, the Challenger um, space shuttle blew up uh, hour, uh, an hour, a minute and 30 seconds after launch. And what was really notice, uh, notable about it, it was, it was um, the first civilian was flying on board as a teacher from New Hampshire. So it had a lot of press and uh, it's pretty devastating because um, the, the film opens with how excited everybody is to go on there. And then the shuttle explodes uh, in the first like uh, five, 10 minutes of the documentary. And then uh, her parents and stuff are on the ground and all these kids were watching live. Um, and so it's, it's, so that's pretty heartbreaking. And then the first episode, there's four of them. The first episode goes into the story of each of the astronauts. And it's uh, pretty interesting. They have a lot of um, interviews with the widows or the widowers and friends and family about um, everybody before the challenger happened. Um, I mean, even the, the pilot of it, um, this was his third or fourth space shuttle mission. Um, so it, it's pretty heartbreaking. And and then it starts, slowly delves into that NASA ignored the warnings about the space shuttle program and especially the O-rings in the rocket boosters, which caused the catastrophic event. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's really interesting because they really dig into um, how NASA's PR would spin the stories so people wouldn't focus on um, the problems they're having with the space shuttle program. Um, whether it's a rocket boosters or, I mean, the Columbia disaster that happened about 15 years after, uh, maybe 17 years after that, um, you know, with ice particles falling off and damaging the shuttles and stuff and um, how much money it cost. And it, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, it's really well done. Um, yeah. I recommend everybody check it out. It's uh, it's really new. I think it came out on Wednesday, um, but you know, space travel and um, unfortunately, disaster things make you kind of reanalyze watching stuff. And um, it, it's a sad one for sure. Um, uh, I went to the uh, movie theater and I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark with Kellen. Um, I'm really proud of my kid because there was three movies he could have chose. Um, Jurassic Park would have been fine, but is Jurassic Park, Sonic or Raiders of the Lost Ark? And he chose Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and is the most attended movie I've been to since the theaters have opened. Um, I saw it at AMC Highlands Ranch and it was in their big theater and there was like 30 people there. Um, I was kind of shocked. I mean, it's a great movie, but you know, you don't, I wouldn't expect it. Um, and yeah, it's lots what of fun. What time of day was this? Uh, 410. On? Sunday. Sunday, okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was right after the Bronco game. So I don't know if a lot of people are getting out after the Bronco game or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, what can you say about Raiders of Lost Ark? It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, I love how fast it moves. Um, it seems like he's going from one adventure to the next or a next uh, set piece to the next. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's one of my most favorite films and um, that 
Kellen really likes it too. Cause we watched it, I don't know, five or six months ago at home and that he picked that one. Cause he likes the bad guy that gets chopped up in the propeller. And uh, he likes the, the fight on the truck um, towards the end of the film. So uh, it's lots of fun. And yeah, I that re- I can't remember Ryan. Did you show him Temple of Doom? Oh uh, yeah. We watched them all. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's good. He liked it. Cause I had monkey brains in it. Um, yep. Uh, and the only other thing I watched was uh, the Steve Carell movie called Irresistible, written and directed by Jon Stewart. Um, Steve Carell plays a d- Democratic, uh, I don't even know what the actual title of his job would be, but I guess he grooms candidates to run for... A kingmaker. Yeah, something like that. It, I mean, he, he works for a super PAC, basically, and they find people uh, around the country that... Uh, they can be the next person for the democratic party. And he, he worked on the Hillary Clinton campaign. So the opening is about, uh, you know, her loss to Donald Trump and um, how Steve Carell took it. And he was out like on the campaign trail saying um, stupid things about, you know, if people vote for Donald Trump. Um, What's really funny is Jon Stewart really got the tone right. uh, Cause Rose Byrne is in it. And I, I still think she's, her and Rachel McAdams are some of the greatest comedians working right now. And they're really, I think, underappreciated. Um, but Rose Byrne is in this and she plays, um, wait, what does that look for Corinne? You don't like Rose Byrne or Rachel McAdams? No, I love Rose Byrne, but she was in that movie with uh, Tiffany Haddish that I saw in January. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but it was not. Oh, not. like a boss. Yeah. Like a boss. That's what it was. Again, sometimes scripts let people down. Um, but anyways, in it, she plays the Republican strategist um, in it. And once she finds out that Steve Carell's character is going to this uh, small Wisconsin town to help this um, war vet become the mayor, she becomes involved as well. And uh, it's just, if you watched politics over the last four years, it's really funny. Um, I, I know some people didn't like it very much, but I thought it was really great. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, there's like this one part where she's on MSNBC spreading like a fake rumor or no, she gave Steve Carell a fake rumor about something that's happening with his candidate. So he went with it. And then she went on MSNBC saying, I can't believe he's so reckless with this information he got. And so he runs across the street and it's like, fuck you. And they're like arguing on camera. Like it's great. And, uh, <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, she told him she showed up in his hotel room and she said that uh, if her candidate wins, she's going to, he's going to suck her dick for 20 minutes. It's just like really uh, raunchy and it's really funny. And if uh, you can get into, uh, yeah, that's the joke. She doesn't have one, obviously. Um, And uh, they, uh, it's just, if you know anything about, if you paid any attention to the politics, it's pretty spot on about how ridiculous it is and um, the lengths they go to and, the money that they pump into these candidates for the small time mayor thing is it's really funny. I recommend it this week on real nerds podcast. We streamed the devil all the time. Zach, should people watch the devil all the time? Um, yeah. I mean, like it, like any Netflix title, it's Netflix. So you're not really losing any money or anything going to watch it. Um, I'm still processing the film a little bit, but uh, it's definitely worth a watch if you're in the mood for getting beaten over the head by depression for about two hours and 15 minutes. Um, But the cast is amazing in the film. Um, 
So I yeah, I would I would give it a shot. Yeah, it's it's dark, so heads up, guys. Corinne. Um, I kind of agree with some of the stuff that Zach said. It is very dark. Um, I knew that going into it, so I was, um, I guess I was in the proper mindset for it. The film does have narration, which I think helps a little bit because then it makes it feel more like a story. Um, like you're hearing something that didn't happen and not, this is something that maybe could happen to people at some point. Like it just, it takes you out, like, doesn't make it feel as real anymore. Whatever. Um, but I do, like, I think the performances are good. I just wish we got to spend more time with each of the characters. Because, because, like, you only get to spend, like, maybe 15 minutes with some of these people. Uh, Tom Holland's character is probably the one who's in the movie the most. And even he doesn't show up until, like, 40 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so, it's kind of like an anthology, sort of. I don't know how to describe it, but it's it, like it's an ensemble piece. Yeah, it's an ensemble. That's yeah, that's perfect actually. Uh, but yeah, you're seeing like these three different families and how they're all connected by like murder and violence and stuff like that. And it, yeah, it's dark. It wasn't really for me, but I mean, I got through it. I thought it was worth watching, but it wasn't something I'm gonna go back to. Mm-hmm. So, Brad, should people stream the devil all the time? Um, I went to the theater to watch it. So, oh, nice. Uh, no, not nice. I was the only person in the theater until the, the very first frame of the movie started, hmm. and this couple sat down across from me, like two seats away. <laughs> um, I don't know how your theater experiences are always so bad. Yeah, and then they start whispering to each other. So, um, yeah, I wasn't really into it until about halfway into the movie. Uh, you know, it, it's really like two and a half hours of like showing you how much religion has ruined all these people's lives. Um, so, yeah, it's it's acted really well. Um, the story gets really compelling, I think, in the in the second half. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 all right. Um, I actually think it's it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I think the oh, performance... Oh, because it has Spider-Man in it. Fucking A. Um, no, and the Winter because, Soldier. And Batman. Um, the, uh, and uh, Pennywise. <laughs> the, the, the cast is incredible. Um, it is. I, I, just, I just love uh, the drama behind it. I love how damaged the characters are. And I love how the dominoes fall as you watch the film. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I I think you should stream the film, and here is the trailer for The Devil all the time. Happy birthday, Happy Arlen. birthday, honey! Happy birthday to you. Well, this was your daddy's. Brought back from the war. It's time to pass it on. It's the best present I ever got. Thank you. How and why people from two points on a map without even a straight line between them can be connected is at the heart of our story in Knock'em Stiff. You 
ever think about how we ended up orphans living in the same house? I know what my daddy did. Some people would say it's just dumb luck. You take pictures? I do. I see a smile pretty enough to photograph, that is. Others would tell you it was God's plan. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That ain't no preacher. He's as bad as they got on the damn radio. When people look back on it, they had no other choice. There's a lot of no good sons of bitches out there. Excuse me, preacher. You got time for a sinner. You know, I studied something. It's called the delusion. A belief that is untrue. It is our delusion that lead us to sin. Some people were born just so they could be buried. What I'm about to do, I do because I have to. Not because I want to. So yeah, I don't have much to say about it other than like uh, pr- pretty much my summary has says everything I felt about it. Like yeah, it's it's well acted. It's uh, I, I I really liked how you know you see it coming, but like the fact that all these stories kind of meet at the end, um, you know, um, you know, it's a really dark subject matter for everything. Um, I I felt horrible, <laughs> like I was, I was just so depressed at the end. Yeah, the the movie is relentless in yeah. its um in its desire to drag you and kind of kick you around in the stomach a bit. Um I will say I'm I'm in agreement with Ryan. It's one of the best movies of the year to a certain regard now. It comes with qualifier of the year we've experienced thus far. Um but the 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 thing that threw me off after watching it was more or less just like it felt like the way everybody interconnected didn't level off to the kind of tone that I think it's going for, which is primarily a, uh, a, a no country, a Cormac McCarthy kind of vibe with it where, you know, yeah. like things intersect and intertwine and it comes in with the themes of, you know, the disparagement of violence in a postmodern society and stuff. What I took away from it by the end of it was like, it, it almost felt like it was an, a raw, a raw portrayal of post-war aggression um, intermixed with a conflict that never really ends within the grand scheme of religion and faith. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if it hits those as well as I'd like it to, but I am entranced by the movie, like the drama of the characters and their happenings do keep me hooked. The amount of, brutality that happens almost instantly without you realizing it's happened and takes you aback is astounding. So certain scenes are executed in a horror kind of fashion where, you know, you think that there's no way that this can happen or this can happen. And it does happen. Um, The scene where Lenora 
hang, is about to hang herself and the narrator indicates that she's going to have the second thoughts and then accident, through accident alone, she ends up hanging herself. And how it ends up being the catalyst for things to come to a head by the end um, is interesting. It's well shot, it's well executed. I don't know if it fully accomplishes its goal, but if I'm talking about like just a Southern Gothic you know, piece of watching terrible characters and their fates getting unraveled and intertwined and then ending in a violent fashion, it is spot on with that kind of pulpy noir kind of feel to it. I mean, if you're going to do noir, I'd wish you'd, you know, not do it in broad daylight, but whatever. Um, and, um, but again, like I do feel like there's a, there's a, there is a disconnect that I'm feeling with it, but it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the piece. Um, this is, I am astounded by Tom Holland in the movie. That was my big takeaway from it. I was astounded by how good he is. Like I, he's good obviously in Spider-Man and the impossible and such, but this was just, this was something else like that. I had just, I don't think I'd ever thought I'd hear certain words come out of his mouth that come out of his mouth during that confrontation with Pattinson's character. Like, it's just, it's, it's it's shocking. It takes you back a little bit. And I think Pattinson's amazing in the movie too, for how little time he's given the scene where he is explaining why he's going to eat the chicken liver himself was just jaw dropping. Like I was just like, not only are you getting the accent down pat, but you are also flat out just, you are just compelling to a fault here right now. It, it, uh, it, it, it took me aback just how good everybody was in the movie so much so that it's unfortunate that the story doesn't necessarily support them, but it does work in its way. So like, it's still, again, it's still one of the most compelling things I've seen this year. I just, I want to watch it again to see if things kind of work for me a bit, a bit better the second time. Yeah. I think Pattinson's performance was the one I was most taken aback by because you know, having just seen him in Tenet, where I think for the first time I saw him get to use his actual, like, British accent, and then turn around and he's using this, like, Appalachian accent, and he sounds, like, completely different. Like, it's not even the accent, it's, like, the tone of voice that he uses and everything. It does not sound like him at all. Right. So, yeah, like, his performance was just like mesmerizing in this like really weird way and I mean I think that was the case for pretty much everyone uh well okay maybe not everyone at least Jason 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 Clark's not too surprising because he's played characters like that before yeah I was thinking I was like yeah so Sebastian Stan Jason Clark I wasn't really interested I guess it's mostly um Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson's characters that are the most like mesmerizing and I think like you had said, like the film is really well shot. It really draws you into the narrative. And I do think like, like I said, like the narration kind of helps you get a sense of like how the stories are all interconnected and everything. Looking back, like I think the opening sequence is really compelling where we see the dad and he was at war and he comes back and he sets up like the prayer log and everything outside. Mm-hmm. it does kind of help you come into the world. But then given what happens by the end, I'm like, did I really need all of that set up? Like, did I need to see like the war flashback where he, they see the guy crucified and all this, like, 
So I don't know if it needed to be that as drawn out as it was. You know what if, I mean? If you were doing this theatrically as its sole intent, I'd say they probably would have cut those moments out from the script from the get-go. Since it's Netflix, you can kind of go on for however long you'd like. Obviously, see The Irishman now on Netflix coming soon to Criterion. But the uh, to me, when I watch that, it does set up the thematic through line of post-war mail, the, the post-war, post-war trauma, uh, aggressive masculinity, and how those things reckon with each other. Because when he, when he's, when they're doing the prayer, when he's like getting him angry at him to like pray and pray hard, it's a direct reflection off of his experience seeing that guy on the cross in the South Pacific and the amount of internal internalized frustration that he's carrying and that ends up seeping into the sun years later it's it's in to an extent the film captures a portrayal of generational behavior that you know becomes a cycle unfortunately um but you know i but again because it that first moment corinne as you said lasts as long as it does it does feel like it should have been trimmed a little bit more to get to the point um, well, maybe I don't not know the, if, maybe not the war flashback as much because, like you said, that is kind of an important uh, thematic element. But like that whole sequence where like he meets the his future wife at the diner and like goes home, comes mm-hmm. back, and all this like that, I think could have been trimmed a little bit. But I think the most the most that that's supposed to do is set up that Jason Clark's character will appear later on. That's really the only thing I think it actually does. And to establish um, uh, Lenora, Lenora's existence and her and how she ended up where she was. Again, a lot of this is set up where it could feasibly be written a different way to establish it up front for like five minutes. And then you carry on with the themes of your film. Um, there are good performances within that basically short film before the film itself with I think I can't remember if that correct me if I'm wrong Corinne you might know the guy who's playing um the husband who kills her wife to then try to resurrect her is Dudley from Harry Potter I think I could be wrong hello (laughs) um so but there are interesting performances within that I just I, I I agree with Corinne that it doesn't feel like it's absolutely necessary but because it's Netflix and there's a slow burn going on um, with any film that they can put out and you have the time to breathe with that. I'm not opposed to the longer story that they're telling. Um, And it does feel like a full experience that you've lived through this kid's life leading up to the actions by the end of the film. Um, If anything, I feel like the character that was the least important because he was the least uh, elaborated upon was Sebastian Stan's character as the sheriff. Um, he feels like he's not. Hello, Brad. I'm here. You're here. Looks like we lost Corinne. All right. Well, she'll come back. Oh, we lost you there, Corinne. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Can you hear? Can you hear us? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it booted me off because it's on my internet connection was unstable. Uh, okay, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I, I'm in agreement with Corinne that it's not absolutely necessary. However, because it's Netflix and because they can kind of 
go for however long they want on this platform. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, under the understanding that I'm going to get this kind of product. So I appreciate it. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I think it moves enough at a, at enough of a pace that it doesn't, you know, bore you or anything like the movie always has something going on in it. So, um, but yeah, I, I, w- I would definitely want to watch it again when I'm in a better mindset. Cause it was very depressing by the end of it. By the end, I felt like I'd gotten beaten by a two by four. So, <laughs> well, I think I had, and I will say it was an advantage um, because I had to kind of take breaks as I was watching the movie because um, I was working today, but I was like, I want to watch it before we record the podcast episode. And so I had to like, you know, watch 20 minutes, jump off, do something and then watch like 30 more minutes and then go and do something else. So I think that kind of helped with, you know, not feeling like I was super depressed by the end and helped me. Um, and like I said, I knew it was going to be like super violent and like there was going to be a scene where a guy dumps spiders on himself and all this weird shit. Um, but by the way, I just confirmed <laughs> it is Harry. It is Harry Melling from Harry Potter. Okay. Yeah. So I, I knew he looked familiar because he looked like because he, he, he's also in um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, where he plays a very tragic character. So I know you were talking about like the whole theme or whatever of the movie is this idea that you know like the post-war violence aggressive men and like postmodern religion or whatever um i definitely see like the violence aspect like i see how you know these three families are all interconnected by like how they've all killed each other at some point basically mm-hmm. like they've killed within their own families and they've killed each other yeah to, to some degree and but I, I guess, like, the whole faith aspect didn't sit as well with me because I looked at it and I just saw a bunch of stereotypes. I'm like, oh, I, yeah, we have the preacher who preys on, you know, women and who's a giant hypocrite, you know, basically just, like, you know, scarlet letter or something. And it's I, like, I, oh, yeah, we'll preach chastity and, and, and sin, or sinlessness and all this stuff, but we'll, you know, secretly, you know, fucking high school kids <laughs> i yeah. felt like uh, tim meadows in a mean girls like you know robert pattinson step away from the underage girls <laughs> yeah there's a there, well so there's two other elements of it that i thought made it more compelling but i agree i think it's the weakest of the themes that are hitting is that when um one of them is harry melling's character lenora's father who the idea of his faith leaving him and him having to like put himself in a closet until he can figure out a way to perform another miracle. And the miracle he comes up with within his delusion is to kill his wife and then beg the Lord to have her resurrected is an interesting moment and scene, but it's, but it's, it's swept under the rug pretty quickly in favor of the broader story at hand. And then Mm -hmm. the, the idea of Leona after she finds out she's pregnant and the preacher basically tells her that he's not going to do anything about it. The whole idea, like when he says, get rid of it, however you want, like it's supposed to identify the hypocrisy of religious figures who are pro-life, but then they have, you know, uh, abortions off to the side. So like there's, there's attempts to hit those things, but they just don't focus on them as well as I, uh, I, I would prefer them to if that's what their goal is um i think by the end of it by the time you get to the end with tom holland in the car 
he's taking a breath for all the experiences that have been thrusted upon him, whether through family, whether through faith, whether through circumstance, but they don't feel as fulfilled as they ought to be because we're trying to tell an ensemble piece where everybody's connected and everything means something to the other person. And again, while Sebastian Stan's character does connect to the beginning, towards the beginning of the movie with him uh, taking care of young Tom Holland after his father kills himself, it does feel like his story is so short shrifted that you couldn't, you didn't need him to have any scenes on his own, taking care of his political rivals or uh, ensuring that he gets reelected. Like it felt like it was a thread that didn't need to exist. I would kind of, yeah, I, I agree with that. I guess my whole point was we, this film has a very cynical point or a very cynical view of religion. And I understand that. I guess I always just want to see like a little bit more of a balance portrayed. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you can have some, you know, people who are hypocrites and have people who say one thing, do another and have people who don't believe. But I would like to think that there are people in the world and people in the story. Maybe the grandma is probably the best example of people who are believing, who do go to church, who do, you know, practice what they preach, as it were, um, and who are generally good people and not, or at the very least, like, they're complex, but they're not, like, terrible. Like, basically everyone in this is either a terrible person or they're just, (laughs) like, (laughs) like, innocent and stupid and naive, like, especially the women. Like, I felt like all the women in this movie were just totally dumb and, like Lenora I I understand like she was in like very very desperate and a terrible circumstance but the fact that you know her faith was something that was so important to her and how the bible just does not you know it it lays bare like you know you're not supposed to commit suicide and that's like something that Christians from day one have basically said like no we don't commit suicide So the fact that she even considers it is like a little weird to me. And I know it was crazy circumstances, but you know, if her faith is as important and as a big of a foundation as it is, as the movie portrays it, I'm amazed that she even considered it, let alone sort of went through with it. You know what I mean? Like I know. Well, the, the big, the big factor for her within it is that she would, if she were to have the child, she'd be a, a, what what um Pattinson calls a whore a, a whore mother um you know like a, a bastard child yeah because there are none of those in the bible i mean <laughs> no, no but like again like this movie's views on religion are both cynical and unclear like that's that's the key thing but but again in the grand scheme of the piece it's still immensely watchable and hits on things that are worth discussing even if the religion angle on it is the least elaborated upon um, or at mm-hmm. least the least clarified. Cause I think it's much more interested in male aggression or aggression the least period. Faceted is maybe yeah. the best way to put it. Cause it's yes. all, it's so cynical and it's like, I wanted like at least one person who was, you know, a believer and, you know, maybe had that, you know, play off of these other characters of like, you know, I'm a bully. Well, I guess Lenora was kind of like that, but I don't know. It just, yeah. I, I do feel like, when it's no also one have everyone 
be like super stupid or super cynical all the time. Like have a little bit more diversity among your characters. This, this is what I took away from it because I do like the movie. I'll rewatch it again. I, I mean, given how light the year has been, it's probably going to end up on my film explosion list because of the powerhouse acting and how well it is directed from that standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. The movie felt to me like two things. One, it felt like a Coen Brothers movie um, pumped up on some form of aggressive uh, adrenaline rush that follows the same form of karmic um, karmic balance that most of their films tend to run in towards. And also it felt like it was a an interpretation of No Country for Old Men that somebody like James has pointed out is the wrong way to read No Country for Old Men. Because um, the movie does have a, I don't want to use the term nihilistic because that's overused, but it feels within that boundary where everything's kind of irrelevant and real, and there's no, the, 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 the center of that it, line you know. that the, 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 uh, Sebastian Stan character says like some people were born just to be buried. Exactly. Like that's what it is. It's that's almost right. like that it's interpreting the, the no country for old men, the way most people tend to interpret it, which is not necessarily the case. So, but again, all that being said, any gripes aside, like there, there's more than enough reason to sit down and watch it. Yeah, like I, I think it was a compelling movie in the moment, but it hasn't really stuck with me. Like I figured it would, because you know, like really violent movies like that always stick with me a lot longer than I want them to. But for whatever reason, I'm just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I've got other stuff to do tonight. I ain't gonna think about this movie anymore. Yeah, again, that that that's what I'm I'm curious to see how people read the film down uh, years down the road because it does seem to me like it's something that could easily be get lost in the shuffle. Um mm-hmm. but I think because it has Holland patents and and these Marvel figures there's always going to be an interest to see what else they do. And I, I I also if anything hope that a film like this gives more opportunities for people like Pattinson, Holland and Sebastian Stan to stretch their muscles beyond the Marvel realm. Cause I love them as, or, and the Batman realm in the case of Pattinson, cause I love the fact that Holland and Sebastian Stan are in that universe. I love their characters, but I do like them as actors a lot too. And I'd like to see them stretching those muscles even more um, beyond the confines of a Marvel film. And, and I think I got a lot of that with this. So, um, so yeah. Sweet. Well, that's been the show, kids. Until next week, bye. Bye. Brad doesn't say bye because he's a jerk. Are we just going to comment on that for like every episode for the rest of the existence of this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going off of Ryan's lead here. I'm not good at rim- imitating or replacing Ryan. I think it only matters when Ryan isn't on because then it's like if Brad is hosting but Brad doesn't say bye, then it's a little weird. Yeah, it is. <laughs> anyway. Brad sucks balls. <laughs> Fuck you. This is Ryan. Until <laughs> next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Neighborless Visions Multimedia. 
Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.